The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones of Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. We give thee our thanks, O Lord our God, that thou hast gathered us to thyself in Jesus Christ and brought us into fellowship with thee and bestowed upon us life eternal in his name. We are conscious of the privilege that thou hast extended to us and acknowledge that it is thy grace and Christ's righteousness alone which install us in thy favor. And we thank thee then that we gather together in thy presence. Thou hast called us out of this present evil world and gathered us uh, to be the children of God. And we pray that thou wilt bring many more yet from all over the world to the one who lived and died and rose again for them. Extend the sway of the gospel, bless the churches in every land and nation. And make clearer the distinction between thy people and those who, who are not yet thine. And grant that such may be the power of thy spirit attending thy word and using the testimony and conduct of thy people. And that it might be an effective weapon in thy hand to call many yet to Jesus Christ. We look forward to that day when all sin and evil will be eradicated from us and all thy people and we pray that thou wilt help us to expect the the coming of thy son with greater longing and rejoice in his appearing be pleased then to help us to be faithful and obedient to thee and bless to us thy word pardon our sins for jesus sake amen be seated please you turn with me to the 25th chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25, uh, to the closing words of that chapter, namely verses 9 through 12, Isaiah 25, verses 9 through 12. Let us hear the word of God. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And Moab will spread out his hands in the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. May God bless to us his word. Every day makes some difference to people and life on earth. Some days, of course, do so more than others. And none will compare with the last day in that respect. Uh, the day when the Lord's word will be fulfilled, his work 
completed and all his children gathered to himself and a clear and ineradicable line of demarcation placed between them and the rest of mankind. Just as with the days of creation, uh, God's word uh, was fulfilled with regard to each declaration that he made until the heavens and the earth were finished and all the hosts of them. Uh, and all was very good. So everything will be good and just when all that he has declared by way of anticipation and prediction of his saving purpose and all that he has promised to his people through the merit of his son and by the ministry of the spirit will actually be completed and consummated. Deliverance then will be their song and theme and destruction that is not annihilation will be the portion of their foes and his. And his word will be echoed with, by means of the hallelujahs and the amens of his people. And that is the theme of the whole Bible from Eden through to heaven. And here at the end of Isaiah 25, we have another song uh, that presents us with a further depiction of that great and glorious and yet great and terrible day of the Lord. The focus in these verses that we have just read together is on places and on actions. The places that are referred to are very diverse. We have here once more the mountain, the mountain of the Lord. And on the other hand, we have a midden. The former lifts up our eyes, and with it, our minds and hearts. The latter turns our stomachs like a manure heap on a farm, as it is meant to do. These are not still life pictures. Actions are described in these verses too. Divine actions and human actions. And the divine action is, on the one hand, presented by way of a hand resting gently. But on the other hand, by way of a foot treading down firmly. Human actions, the difference between singing and sinking. These are ultimate contrasts, graphic, glorious, and grim. First of all, we have deliverance for God's people, and we are told that they will sing, and sing as they have never sung before. Because while there have been deliverances of God's people, ever since the fall in Eden, whether individually or domestically in terms of Adam and Eve, or corporately in terms of his chosen nation, 
yet all those deliverances pale into insignificance in comparison with his appearing at the end of time a crack of doom and the dawn of glory and then as the book of Revelation tells us they will sing as it were a new song it's the same theme the same truth but they will sing that as no generation of the Lord's people whether pre-Christian or Christian has ever ever sung it before Joy is the theme that goes with this note of deliverance. You see that it's repeated in verse 9. This is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. It's a joy of a particular kind that is expressed. First of all, it's the joy of recognition. Behold, This is our God. This is the Lord. They now are face to face with him. They see him as they have never ever seen him before. He has returned. There's no need for him to identify himself. There's no need for us to wonder whether we will recognize him. His appearing is self authenticating time will have gone all nations will stand before him graves will be opened just as it's not necessary for you and me to ask each other is it day or night now so it will be completely unnecessary not only for the Christian but also for the worldling to wonder in whose presence they are but it is the Christian who is able to say this is our God this is Jehovah our Lord this is our covenant redeemer and yet though we will recognize him it will be with rapt wonder and amazement that's this word behold never overlook it the NIV consistently omits it always included it expresses on the one hand something staggering and stupendous but on the other hand it also expresses this joy and gladness and exultation that fills the minds and hearts of his people just as we have glimpsed him in the word we'll recognize him when we see him though neither of us not any one of us can describe him to each other now as one day we will be able to see him now we see through a glass darkly then it will be face to face we will know who he is because he will demonstrate himself to us somehow as the lamb who was slain for our salvation And the joy of recognition will be abundant. So will the joy of consummation because he's the one we've waited for. Longing and expectation is now over. Salvation in its totality has come. And it's something lasting and permanent. 
and something that can never be forfeited and will never ever be taken away. It's better than Eden before the fall. Here is communion restored, never to be broken. Face-to-face encounter with never a cloud between and conformity to him in worship and service such as we have longed for and long waited for. But then there's this other picture. It's not deliverance, no, it's degradation. Moab shall be trampled down in his place. Isaiah has referred to the way in which the disgrace of the Lord's people will be removed. Here, that line of demarcation is drawn. And separation between God's foes and his friends. Here's the great gulf fixed between the mount and across the Jordan Rift Valley, the mountains of Moab. But mountain is not used with reference to Moab. It's as if Moab has no mountains at all. Moab has become a dung heap. What a grotesque and horrific picture. Here you have the foul pit of sin from which there is no possibility of swimming out. Moab will spread out its hands as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But in spite of all Moab's might, and Moab's hands are referred to, Moab is now under the Lord's foot. You know, why is it that sinners in hell will find no pleasure in their sin anymore? I'll tell you. Because the Lord's foot is on them. Because his wrath is present there. Hell wouldn't be hell if God were not there. What makes hell hell? God's wrath. And his wrath cannot be separated from himself. So is God in hell? Yes, in that sense he is. And what is hell? But for a sinner to be in the immediate presence of God without a mediator. But not only does the Lord's foot press down on Moab, but also Moab is flattened. Its towers are raised to the ground. The Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. High fortifications and walls will be brought down, laid low, cast down. You see the emphasis, the triple emphasis, and not merely brought crashing down, but turned into dust, indistinguishable from the flat ground. Moab's skill. Moab's might will be subdued 
And that will be true in hell too. There will be no contrary ideologies there. There'll be no arguments with God. There'll be no claims that if he were to come and do this, we would believe in him. There'll be no other ways of salvation. And there will be no opposition that rears its head against him because his foot is there. Those are the two pictures presented here. And you and I will agree, won't we, that it's the saddest thing that evangelicalism has lost the reality of heaven and hell. Well, can we excuse ourselves as reformed people? Or have we lost it too? Here are ultimate destinies. Where will we be? Well, the only answer, of course, is that we see that we deserve to be there. But someone has gone there for us. And that's what on this mountain means, isn't it? It isn't Mount Nebo, where Moses died, that was in Moab. It's Mount Moriah. Where Isaac was spared, where David was spared, where Israel was spared. Because the promised seed was not spared. Because the Lord Jesus Christ bore sin and the curse. And there not only was rejected by men, but by God. Not only cursed by them, but cursed by his Father. And he bore that curse instead of all who trust in him. That is why we can look forward to being at God's right hand where there are pleasures forevermore and not under his feet forever with his unbearable displeasure pressed down upon us forever and ever. Let us Give him thanks. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we acknowledge that we deserve to be under thy wrath forever and ever on account of our sins, being Adam and our own. And that there would be nothing that we could do that would provide us with an escape from that just punishment and condemnation. Nothing to plead, nothing to trust. Forever banished from all the comfort and bliss and pleasure of thy presence. So we thank thee and stand amazed that thou should send one who never ever deserved thy displeasure and never ever 
could have deserved thy displeasure had it not been that thou didst so love sinners and he did too that he was willing to stand where they stood and bear what they should have borne. O Lord, we thank thee for Jesus, our blessed Savior, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Amen. Copyright Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.